From Odyssey, I'm Lauren Berry, and this is the On Deadline podcast, where we bring you a fresh perspective on the top story out of our radio newsrooms across the country. Today on Deadline, we have the United Auto Workers Union finally reaching tentative agreements with the three major car manufacturers in the United States, Ford, GM, and Stellantis, while the Hollywood actor strikes soldiers on, and what that means for the rest of the economy. The movie and TV-watching public understands how the Hollywood strike affects us. But how, you may ask, could the UAW affect me or you as people who may not work in the auto industry? Here's how. As Reuters reported, UAW leaders argued that their contract fight was part of a much larger movement to reverse decades of economic setbacks for working-class Americans. Analysts said the union's success in Detroit would advance the effort to give workers back the gains they started to lose at the outset of the Great Recession in 2008. Hence, a win for auto workers could be a win for all workers. UAW workers were on strike against the Big Three for a month and a half. Headlines and battle lines were drawn around demands for double-digit pay increases paired with four-day work weeks. At the height of the strike, 45,000 UAW workers were walking picket lines across the U.S. The UAW strategy of escalating targeted strikes cost the Detroit Three and suppliers billions of dollars over more than 40 days. The pressure was on, and the workers and their union leadership held firm. So here's where they landed. General Motors announced on Monday that it reached a tentative deal with the UAW on a new four-year contract. That contract will include a 25% wage hike, a $5,000 ratification bonus, cost-of-living adjustments, and more. Ford and the UAW reached a tentative agreement last week, and that one includes $8.1 billion in manufacturing investments, plus potentially giving workers up to $70,000 in extra pay over the four-and-a-half-year life of the contract. Now for the Stellantis contract. That will see UAW workers receive several major benefits lost during the Great Recession, like cost-of-living allowances and a three-year wage progression. The deal also includes the elimination of divisive wage tiers. Those had new workers making just a fraction of the pay of older workers. The deal also includes improvements to retirement pay. Here's Union President Sean Fain himself and Vice President Chuck Browning on the result of the strikes as of October 25th. UAW family, I'm excited and honored to be joined today by Vice President Chuck Browning as we announce a major victory in the stand-up strike. Today, we reached a tentative agreement with Ford. For months, we've said that record profits mean record contracts. And UAW family, our stand-up strike has delivered. What started at three plants at midnight on September 15th has become a national movement. We knew we were getting close, but we also knew the companies needed a major push if we were going to make sure we got every penny possible in this agreement. So we took our strike to a new phase and hit the companies with maximum effect. On Monday, we called on our UAW family at Sterling Heights Assembly to stand up. That is Stellantis' biggest and most profitable plant. On Tuesday, our UAW family at Arlington Assembly answered the call and they went out on strike, shutting down GM's biggest and most profitable plant. Ford knew what was coming for them on Wednesday if we didn't get a deal. That was checkmate. We reached a historic agreement. 
As you know, in our union, the members are the highest authority. That means we have a process for ruling out the details of the agreement. Our union has united in a way we haven't seen in years. From the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico, our members came together to tell the big three with one voice that record profits mean a record contract. Thanks to the power of our members on the picket line and the threat of more strikes to come, we have won the most lucrative agreement per member since Walter Ruther was president. Between wage increases, COLA, annual bonuses to retirees, and other economic gains, there is more value for our members in each individual year of this agreement than the entirety of the 2019 agreement. This deal puts more money on the table than the 2019 agreement four times over. So when we say historic, we mean it. We have won a 25% general wage increase over the course of this agreement. With COLA, we expect the top wage rate to increase by over 30% to above $40 an hour. Our starting wage rate will rise 68%. For decades, temps at the big three have been abused and exploited. Over the life of the contract, temps will see raises of over 150%. Some of our lower tier members at Sterling Axel and Rawsonville will see an immediate 85% raise upon ratification. UAW members at Ford will receive more in straight general wage increases over the next four and a half years than we have over the last 22 years combined. At ratification, Ford workers will receive an immediate 11% wage increase. That's almost equal to all of the wage increases since 2007 combined. We also won back some core things that we had lost over the years. We have won back our 2009 COLA. We have won back a three-year progression which we have not seen since before the Great Recession. We have killed the divisive wage tier at Sterling Axel in Rawsonville. We have finally added to our pension multiplier and provided more for retirement for current retirees, members with pensions, and members with 401ks. And on top of that, we made historic advances in job security. For the first time ever, we won the right to strike over plant closures. For decades, that was an impossible demand. But through the power of the stand-up strike, we have made it a reality. That means they can't keep devastating our communities and closing plants with no consequences. Together, we have made history. While writers with the Writers Guild of America may have come to an agreement with Hollywood Studios last month, actors with SAG-AFTRA remain on the picket line until their demands are met. The UAW held firm until they got what they wanted. It looks like actors are going to do the same. The union that represents a majority of the actors in Hollywood is demanding an increase in wages, updated employer contributions to health and retirement plans, and better residual payments. 
talks had been opening up between studios and actors, but they shut down on Monday after Common Ground became non-existent in regards to residuals. Those are payments made to actors or other workers when a TV show or movie is rerun or aired after its original release. TV residuals in the analog age could rake in millions of dollars. For instance, in 2015, USA Today reported that Warner Brothers earned $1 billion a year from friends and syndication. And per their contracts, $20 million of that per year was divided equally among its stars. In the streaming age, it's become a different story. Mandy Moore, who starred in NBC's This Is Us, said she received streaming residual checks for a penny one time and 81 cents another time. In an Instagram video, William Stanford Davis, who plays Mr. Johnson on the ABC sitcom Abbott Elementary, showed a residual check for five cents. That's what they think of us as actors, he said. This is why we're on strike. Tom Noonan, the owner and operator of the independent film and TV production studio Bullseye Entertainment, joined Odyssey to discuss what appears to be the final hurdle for actors and studios. So uh, isn't this kind of, from the producer's point of view, almost the perfect scenario that you now have the union itself split, apparently, over this issue, and some are calling for uh, wrapping this up. Others are saying, no, don't cave in. Doesn't that house divided only work to the producer's advantage? Well, at first, and forgive me for making this uh, sort of correction, but we producers really want the, the word producers taken out of AMPTP. It does, however, that division does work towards the studios and streamers' advantage. Whenever there's a division in labor, it's always going to be as a streamers' advantage. Okay, so do you get any sense... Tom, that this is now finally reaching some sort of a, uh, if not satisfactory, at least a conclusion that both sides could live with? Or is it still impossible to tell? I think it's a little bit more impossible to tell than some of the rosier forecasts that I've read about because there is such pressure for so many different milestones to be reached by the, the Screen Actors Guild, and they've waited this long. I think many are feeling a lot of pressure for them to hold out even longer. Well, and what would they hold out for? And is that holding out for what they think they want something that, you know, realistically they're ever going to get? Well, I I do think that there's a world where they can find a residual formula connected to the success of various titles. I don't think that they'll find a residual formula that's connected to subscriptions, which is what they had originally sought out. And I do think that there's every reason to believe that they should get an 11% hike, which would bring them in line with the cost of living increases that have uh, occurred over the years. Summer 2023 was dubbed Hot Strike Summer, but don't look for that to chill with the temperature drop. The demand for better working conditions and for a bigger slice of the profit pie to get passed down that table from billionaire CEOs to workers struggling to pay rent, it isn't over yet. Pharmacists are the latest group of workers to threaten a strike if conditions aren't improved for them. These pharmacists say that with hundreds of CVS, Walgreens, and Rite Aid stores closing, Working conditions at remaining stores have only grown worse. Super long hours and little help are creating a crisis, they say. Now, to show they mean business, pharmacists say they're preparing to walk off the job nationwide. Forbes healthcare writer Bruce Japson joined Odyssey in Chicago to discuss what could happen next. 
Uh, what are the odds of, of this becoming a nationwide movement? Or is, are we already there? Well, in a way, we're already there. And it's not just the pharmacies. You know, we had the, the huge strike with, you know, Kaiser Permanente, which is largely on the West Coast, and some hospitals um, in the Washington, D.C. area. And then you had up north, sort of the uh, Minneapolis version of Advocate Healthcare, this Alina, where they had hundreds of doctors uh, organizing. What Part of what this is, is, of course, you know, we have low unemployment. We have the you know the great resignation, which people have talked about. But in healthcare, what people have to remember, as far as frustrations with you know stagnant wages and raises not rising with inflation, is is all these people they went to work for two or three years. They went into the office. Most a lot of people did not go in the office. People are still not going into the office. But yet, if you worked at a Walgreens or a CVS or a hospital or any of these places. You went into the office, and then meanwhile, you're seeing the CEOs, you know, their pay is still climbing to, to the ridiculous levels across the country. And so you're having a lot of frustration. I don't think at the CBS and Walgreens, the walkouts are, there's not like a national union that they have to deal with. So I don't think they're going to be, I think they're just going to be kind of spotty here and there. But it is serious. And, you know, they are doing things like trying to raise wages and so forth. But this all comes down to the fact that, hey, you know what? Healthcare is, healthcare never closes. <laughs> healthcare is always open. And so when you have shortages of workers, it's frustrating. And so that, that's what you're seeing here. We're talking to Forbes healthcare writer Bruce Jabson. Now, in previous segments, we've talked about how the local pharmacy is taking on a greater and greater role in the healthcare space, taking mm-hmm. on duties that may have been done in a doctor's office not too long ago. And yeah. this labor frustration is the other side of that coin. Uh, yes, in, in a way it is. I mean, they, if you if you want to have, if you want to be the primary care provider uh, for more patients and you want your pharmacy technicians uh, during the pandemic were allowed to get vaccinations, they weren't able to, they didn't used to be able to do this. Pharmacists weren't even able uh, to, to, to give vaccines according to some of these goofy laws we've had in different states that prevented that and obviously millions of people got their vaccines and so yeah it is it is definitely a problem that they're going to have to deal with at the upper levels of walgreens and cvs is that you, you you're going into a space i just i was just in las vegas for a conference for example amazon bought one medical big doctor practice and whatever and i tried to get the amazon guys to tell me well how fast are you going to open these one medical clinics there are nine in chicago and they couldn't tell me because they can't predict how many clinics they're going to open. They can't tell Wall Street we're going to open 50 a year because, you know what, there's a doctor shortage. There's a, a nurse shortage and so forth. And so the efforts of these retailers, uh, whether it's, it's Walgreens or CVS or um, Walmart, to expand is going to be slowed by this. And so that, that's also uh, going to be a problem for them. Workers went from the Great Resignation to the summer of the strike whiplash fast, which has a lot of people wondering what's next. Whatever form the next employment trend takes, the underlying theme is this. Workers want better pay. Not only do workers want it for themselves, they also want it for others. A poll from the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organization even showed that two-thirds of Americans support labor unions right now. Among Americans age 30 and younger, that number jumped to 88%, and they're willing to fight for what they believe they deserve. 
More than 200 strikes have occurred across the U.S. so far in 2023, involving more than 320,000 workers. That's compared with 116 strikes and 27,000 workers over the same period in 2021, according to data from the Cornell ILR School Labor Action Tracker. And the public, by and large, is supportive. This year is the seventh year in a row in which approval of labor unions has topped 60%. That's a rate rarely seen since the 1960s. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smee. I'm Lauren Barry, and I want to say thanks for listening to On Deadline, Odyssey serving of a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcast to stay informed. Thank you.